0: When the new health insurance exchanges, sponsored by individual states, the federal government, and federal state partnerships, opened for business on October 1, 2013, it was immediately clear that this major component of the Affordable Care Act was in serious trouble. The online marketplaces didn't work as advertised, they were frustrating for consumers, and they provided fodder for anti-ACA Republicans. But once the technical problems are ironed out, the exchanges are designed to change the nature of U.S. healthcare coverage. I'm Stephen Morrissey, Managing Editor of the New England Journal of Medicine, and I'm talking with John Kingsdale, Director of the Boston office of the Wakely Consulting Group and the former Executive Director of the Massachusetts Health Connector. Dr. Kingsdale has written a perspective article on what we can expect from health insurance marketplaces. Dr. Kingsdale, in your article, you list a number of management problems with the implementation of most of the exchanges, but some do seem more successful. What was different in the states where the rollout went more smoothly? Are there lessons there for other states and for the federal government?
1: Yes, I think there are, although I should note that there was not a clear distinction between doing it smoothly and what you might describe as a fiasco at the other end of the continuum. But there was sort of various points in between, all the way from Connecticut, which seems to have done this fairly well, to Massachusetts, which frankly has been, ironically, in the new rollout, as close to a fiasco as possible. Some of the things that the states that have done this right have done is, I think, make the project as modest as possible rather than as ambitious as possible and get an early start. A second thing is selecting an experienced and committed information technology vendor. But, you know, in the end, it really comes down to good management, both in terms of holding the vendor's feet to the fire and carefully monitoring them step by step, as well as what I would call self-discipline. So, for example, getting back to vendors quickly with responses about what it is you as the client want. And even at the extreme, I recall Connecticut last spring basically telling the federal government, we're done with any changes and new regulations you might want from us. We're not changing anything in our IT build, regardless of what you come out with after this point. So that kind of discipline in terms of decision-making is critically important.
0: And how much damage did the flawed rollout do to the overall implementation of the ACA and to public perceptions of health care reform?
1: Well, clearly it hurt public perception of health care reform because it fell upon a very receptive audience to the message that government really has trouble doing anything right. And this certainly played right into that. How much harm it's going to do the actual enrollment as opposed to the initial public reception and perception is a separate question. It seems that with numbers that were just very recently released, for all the states, that enrollment now is about two-thirds of the expected target, about 2.2 million as of the end of December, versus a target of about 3.3 million enrollees. And there's some real contrast with states like Connecticut and Rhode Island and New York that are all above 150% of their target enrollment versus states like Massachusetts, Oregon, Maryland, and D.C. that are all below 25% of their target enrollment. So, you know, it's hurt the early enrollment, but clearly the federal exchange is now catching up. Enrollment is considerably on the uptick. There are some seemingly very successful IT rollouts, such as in Connecticut, which have not led necessarily to high enrollment. So there are other factors than the information technology at play because enrollment is a very challenging sales and marketing effort in and of itself. And most surprisingly, if you begin to look at the numbers, there's not a clear correlation between high enrollment, which is certainly a success in itself, and getting a particularly healthy young group of enrollees which may be important to ultimately managing the price of insurance over the long run. And then finally, I'd say the impact of the slow enrollment, you know, we really won't know for sure until after March, but so far the states have done slightly better, it seems, than the federal overall, but there's a mixed picture there. And it's a long-term effort. So what really counts is can everybody involved in the states and the feds relaunch effectively in 2015 and to make up some of the lost ground from what seems to have been a flawed start in 2014.
0: What is it that most of us don't understand about the information technology involved here? What are the complexities? What are the hurdles?
1: Well, I'm not a, uh, an IT specialist by any means. In fact, I have enough trouble with just with my laptop. But it seems to me that the complexity and ambiguity of or lack of management are the biggest obstacles. If the client knows what they want and they build this thing stepwise, so take a modest project, and we did that at the Connector in Massachusetts. Our first build was about a million dollars. I mean, it was very small. And then you test that. Then you add more pieces and then you test that. It seems to me this is far more feasible than if it's a very ambitious project and you're trying to get it all built at once. Clearly all vendors are not equal, but all vendors need careful oversight and management. And building an exchange, I guess the last thing I'd say is not primarily a technology play. That's just a necessary component, but it's really a management and marketing
0: effort. As you say in your article, the core function of these exchanges is going to be to promote enrollment in health insurance plans and to promote consumer choice among those plans. promotional aspect seems to be at least partly a marketing challenge. So what promotion related advice would you have for other states given what you've seen in Massachusetts?
1: Well we were very successful in marketing in Massachusetts and we got down to officially at least to, to a two percent uninsurance rate a couple of years after rolling this out. Although there are a number of different surveys and the rate I guess is somewhere between two and five percent depending on which survey uninsured. Nevertheless, by any standard it was successful. Some of the things that we learned along the way are, first, strive always for simplicity, both of the exchange, the products, and the messaging. This is just an overwhelmingly complicated and hard to penetrate a field for most individuals, for most consumers. They just don't understand health insurance, and frankly, they don't want to spend a lot of time thinking about it, so simplicity is key, and you have to start With education and awareness, this is a kind of a phased campaign in which the first challenge is just to make people aware of options and of the need for health insurance and of subsidies for health insurance and educate them about that. I note that a recent survey from, I think it was Enroll America, indicate that the majority, the vast majority of those who are uninsured and eligible for subsidies under the Affordable Care Act as of December 2013, are still unaware that there is subsidized insurance available to them. So you really need to hit that message many times, very broadly, to the targeted enrollment group. And then the campaign needs to move, and it is a campaign, into almost an oxymoronic phrase, the culture of insurance, to the extent that we were able to partner, for example, with many, many different organizations, but especially with the Red Sox, this connoted to the public and to the uninsured that insurance was something good, something that the community supports and that is important for everybody to have, as distinct from the mandate that you must have it or you pay a penalty. The positive messaging, which has to be through partnership with other community-spirited organizations, is very important. And then... It is, after all, a commercial sales effort, which is very different from, say, a political campaign to get people to the polls, to the voting booth once every several years. And it needs to have the expertise that comes with selling and actually closing the sale of a commercial enterprise. I used to remind the board of the Connector, somewhat, I think, to their discomfort, that we're in the business of selling health insurance.
0: Again, from your experience in Massachusetts, what insights do you have about consumer satisfaction?
1: Well, again, the most important thing is to keep it simple. And ironically, reducing choice can actually be consumer friendly. So here we begin to tread on ideology. But the fact is, for example, when we initiated the bronze, silver, gold coverage in Massachusetts, we asked each health plan, each insurer, to offer its own instead of cost-sharing in order to get to the right sort of level of coverage or actuarial value. So, for example, one health plan could offer a $2,000 deductible, annual deductible, as a way of getting to the bronze level of coverage, the less rich coverage, whereas another health plan might offer zero annual deductible but 35% coinsurance, a very high coinsurance for every service that was purchased. And what we found when we asked consumers is that they were confused by these differences. They didn't really understand them. And so they sometimes, ironically, bought the most expensive coverage available at, say, the bronze level just because they thought, well, price is a good substitute for quality or richness of benefits. And so we found that they asked us, and we found that it was much more helpful to require every carrier to offer that $2,000 deductible plan, or every carrier to offer that zero deductible plan with a high coinsurance so that people could, consumers could compare apples to apples. They could compare the $2,000 deductible and low co payment plan across different carriers like Blue Cross and Harvard Pilgrim and Tufts, et cetera. So we needed to find ways to keep it simple, and we needed to constantly assess what was working, what wasn't, and improve that.
0: Well, that competition among insurers that you talk about is something that is expected to be a benefit of the exchanges. How much, in fact, have insurers changed their plans to create greater value for consumers? And do you expect to see more of that in the future?
1: Well, there's been a considerable movement just for 2014, and and I would expect to see that continue and evolve. The obvious change for 2014 is two things one is we're seeing the emergence or the re-emergence because in the 1980s we already had a select network health maintenance organizations those had been pushed in the group and church market increasingly towards very broad access to virtually any physician and hospital and now we're seeing a reversal of that and the emergence for the exchanges mainly of select networks health plans. So the majority of the plans being offered for 2014 to individual buyers on the exchanges offer something short of most providers in the community. And the selection has mainly been on price in order to lower the premiums for the health plans. I think we'll see that. And the other thing we see for 2014 is the emergence of some new carriers, folks like Medicaid managed care plans that has served primarily or exclusively Medicaid Now coming into the commercial market where they're available to individuals and even to small employers. So, for example, in New York City, we've got a couple of Medicaid managed care plans that are now being purchased by small employers on the so called shop exchange. I think we'll see more of that. I think we'll see more evolution and hopefully sophistication of the criteria for selecting between health plans and providers. And what I'd love to see emerge, and I think we will, based on some of the experience in Massachusetts, is real partnerships between clinical providers and health plans so that together they actually can do a particularly good job complementing each other, measuring quality and access, improving cost, quality and access, and serving the very sick as well as the healthy.
0: So if that competition and collaboration drives consumers to higher-value health care systems, there should be effects in terms of the delivery system. What kinds of reforms do you expect to see there?
1: Well, I think it, uh, there's an exciting set of reforms I hope we're going to see emerge, and we're we'll certainly see them here and there. One is clearly we need to improve access. If we're going to ensure another 30 million Americans, particularly since there are shortages already, we need to improve access. So I would see, for example, much greater reliance on that wonderful 19th century medical technology that is so underused in this country, the telephone, as well as 21st century email. You know, a lot of medical care is the exchange of information, and you don't need a face-to-face visit with a extremely highly trained, time-short physician in order to exchange that information. So the use of other technology and nurse practitioners and physician assistants and team approach to care I would expect to see more and more of. I think we're going to see improvements in cost and quality, particularly initiatives such as reducing readmissions by improving discharge planning and at-home services as a way to both improve cost and quality of care. And finally, I guess I'd love to see greater transparency. I think we're on the cusp of, A, developing credible measures and, B, overcoming fears and resistance to using that information and making it readily accessible. So we would expect to see on these web-enabled exchanges more and more information about the accessibility of providers, the wait times, the quality of care that is provided, uh, particularly if folks are being asked to trade the freedom of choice to pick any physician in any hospital for a select network of physicians and hospitals in their community at a lower price they're going to be demanding information on the quality and accessibility of those select
0: networks. Let me end by asking you for a prediction. How long do you think it will be before the exchanges are running smoothly enough that the story about their flawed rollout fades away?
1: Well, I always think it's easier to predict the past than the future, but if you insist, I don't think it's going to be that long. I think we're already seeing significant improvements of the Federally facilitated marketplace and a number of states, and states that are still struggling are changing vendors and they're focused on this. So I suspect that by the spring, whether that's March, April, or May, these stories are going to fade away, both because the exchanges will be running much more smoothly and also because this year's open enrollment will be largely completed. I do expect to see, and I hope we'll see, a full relaunch of really smoothly running
0: exchanges next fall for the next enrollment opportunity at the end of 2014. Thank you, Dr. Kingsdale.